Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we're going to be talking to Matt Metris. Matt is a frequent guest on the show. We'll be discussing a recently popularized misconception about staking and how the IRS views staking. And we'll be answering a bunch of Reddit questions regarding cryptocurrency taxation. Matt, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Sal. Thanks for having me. Always happy to be here. Uh, even if we're taking a break from the middle of tax season, and I'm sure you're <laughs> as stressed out as I am right oh, now. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been a doozy, and it's only the beginning of February, so we still got the dark days ahead of us. <laughs> but, um, I, my name is Matt Metris. I am the owner of MDM Financial Services in Rochester, New York. We're a cryptocurrency uh, tax firm, uh, and I've been practicing in the crypto space since 2015. Uh, and this year has been the busiest year yet. So uh, it's it's a good time to be practicing in crypto, um, but there's a lot going on. So I think I'm excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, I'm excited to get some answers from you. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to be talking about the staking issue that everybody's been talking about in the crypto space and, and kind of possibly misinterpreting. And then we're going to be answering some questions that we had on Reddit from crypto enthusiasts and uh, people that just had some general questions about crypto taxes. So let's start with the aforementioned staking issue. So essentially there was maybe a week ago in in early February, there was a a post on Twitter uh, made about how staking is no longer taxable. And a lot of people kind of took that and ran with it. And it had to do with something called the Jarrett case. And so can you tell us a little bit about everything that happened with that? Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's this. I've gotten so many emails uh, and calls on this recently. I'm sure you guys have as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a Twitter thread that sort of blew this up and, and it was a little clickbaity. So here's the basically what happened. Um, back in 2019, this couple named Josh and Jessica Jarrett uh, reported income from Tezos staking on their tax return. Uh, and they later filed a claim for refund uh, alleging that the IRS shouldn't be taxing staking. They made the analogy that proof of stake blockchain maintenance is like a baker baking a loaf of bread and you take these raw ingredients and and you create a loaf of bread out of them and it's the creation of new property and you don't get taxed on that loaf of bread uh, when it comes out of the oven, you get taxed on it when you sell it to a customer, right? And that's sort of the same argument that they're making. Uh, I'm not sure how well the analogy holds up and we won't go too far into that realm. Um, but that's the argument they've made. And there's, there's definitely people out there who support that argument, including members of Congress. Uh, the Congressional Blockchain Caucus has sent a letter on, on this subject as well. So they filed a claim for refund back in 2019. The IRS said no. Uh, so they sued the IRS in district court, which is what your option is, basically, if you have a disagreement with the IRS around whether or not the IRS is interpreting tax law correctly and you've already paid the bill, which is what happened in this case. Mm. So litigation is extremely expensive, right? So it's going to cost the IRS thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to litigate this case. And the amount of tax at stake was only 3000 about $3,500. So what happened is the IRS offered a settlement to the Jarrett's, said, we're just going to give you the refund back uh, outside of court. It doesn't, won't go to court. We won't pay the court costs. It's not precedential. 
Um, we're just going to give you the money because it's easier and cheaper for us. Um, and this is sort of where the article picked up. And they said, oh, the IRS is offering this refund, which means they know that they were wrong. And this means staking and mining uh, are no longer taxable. And there's a couple of conclusions that were jumped to in that thought yeah, process, right? Big time. <laughs> yeah. And so this is not nothing about this is precedential. Uh, it, it's it's standard operating procedure for the IRS. Uh, the IRS has made no subsequent comments or guidance about staking since so now in february of 2022 nothing is different than it was last month or last year or any time up until now we still have no guidance on staking and we also have no guidance we do have guidance on mining and in irs notice 14-21 they come straight out and say that mining is income and so a lot of people in especially in the twitter community had had conflated these two and said there's no tax on staking and mining um, and we also know as, as crypto people that sometimes when we use the term staking, we're talking about yield farming or something else like an Aave or compound kind of thing that is not actually true proof of stake blockchain maintenance, which is the only thing that this case applies to. So that's that in a nutshell. So the Jarrett's said no to the settlement. They said, no, thanks. We're going to take it to court. So it's docketed for March of 2023. So that will be the soonest that we hear anything uh, official on this case. So don't. Don't stop paying your taxes on staking just because you read this thread on Twitter. Yeah, that's a great explanation. And, you know, we've already had a ton of people writing in saying, hey, staking isn't taxed anymore. So how, you know, will Bitcoin.tax handle that? And I will say that, of course, until an IRS memo releases or until tax pros like Matt tell us that staking is actually no longer taxable, we're going to keep doing things as is. But we are putting some things in place to account for that. If there is something that happens where they say staking is no longer taxable, we'll make it so customers can easily kind of switch between having their staking income tax and, and not having it taxed so that they don't have to do too much uh, manual fixing with that. On that note, though, it always interests me because I know there's a lot of nuance here, right? But in terms of staking and in terms of either claiming it as fair market value or being worth zero, if you claim it as fair market value and then dispose of it, some of those capital gains are kind of already offset by the fact that you claimed it as income because you now have a higher cost basis, right? If you claim Correct. it as zero, you have a zero cost basis. So when you go and dispose of it, you're being charged the full amount for the taxable event. I mean, there are nuances, right? Because there's long-term and there's the rate of taxation and there's there's a lot of little nuances there. But overall, it's like if you claim zero for these staking incomes, you're going to be paying it out later on your capital gains. Yeah. And yeah. And in theory, in the short term, at least the math washes out mm -hmm. the same both ways. I mean, you are right that when we get into long-term capital gains... You know, there's some debate about the nature of the income then. Is it ordinary versus capital income, which has some uh, impacts, you know, later on down the line as we get a little more into the weeds on that. Um, so there are pros and cons to each side. But it, it the zero dollar basis, especially on staking, is, is a really hard sell because it's clear you have new property and you clearly has value. Um, so the question is not really like, is the value zero, but more should I be taxed on this on this value that I've received and or created, depending on how you want to interpret the nature of the transaction. That's great information. I really appreciate you filling us in on that. I want to talk about a bill that was recently proposed uh, titled HR 6582, which has to do with crypto. And from my understanding, it almost looks like a de minimis exemption. So can you tell us a little bit about what this HR 6582 is and if it is a de minimis exemption and what are the chances of it passing? Yeah, so uh, there's there's always random bills floating around Congress 
around crypto. Um, and this one's no different. We've seen bills like this in the past. The amount is uh, previous bills have had like a $600 de minimis. This one has a $200 de minimis. And basically the idea is that if you have a small transaction, uh, you know, we talk uh, for years, we talk about the Bitcoin cup of coffee problem, right? If I'm going to go buy uh, a cup of coffee with my Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency and fees aside, obviously you couldn't use Ethereum to buy a cup of coffee because you'd pay 200 bucks for your cup of coffee. <laughs> um, but the, the, the thing is, okay, I have a $5 cup of coffee and I paid $4.82 for that Bitcoin. And now I have a capital gain or loss transaction. I have to report on my tax return every day that I buy a cup of coffee. So that the record keeping on that is tedious. Mm -hmm. in, in all honesty, the IRS doesn't want to know about the 12 cents in gain you had on your Bitcoin for your coffee, right? Right. So this sort of simplifies things, um, but it, it doesn't do it in a very clean way. So what it would do is if you have a transaction under $200, uh, there would not be capital gain or loss on it. My hot take is that it would encourage people to have transactions that were $199 in value, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. um, when when you're selling cryptocurrency or, you know, we'd have to see how it actually gets rolled out and implemented. Um, and then the, the other problem becomes if, say I have, uh, you know, 20 of these $199 transactions, how do I tie that into my larger crypto picture, right? How do I make sure that those lots, when I do have a $300 transaction, how do we make sure that those don't get accounted for twice and I'm using the same cost basis that I already use for my coffee, et cetera. So that adds, a, it probably adds more complexity than it eliminates. Yeah. Uh, and it still necessitates impeccable record keeping because uh, otherwise you're gonna, your records are gonna be off by all of the de minimis amounts. Um, as far as your question uh, as to the likelihood of it passing, I think it's extremely low. Um, the likelihood of anything getting through this current Congress is extremely low, as we saw with the Build Back Better Act, and, and there was some crypto provisions in there. Um, so seeing this pass as a standalone, I don't think is super likely, but uh, you know, really anything is possible in the current environment. Yeah, that actually brings up a good question about Build Back Better, because the last controversial kind of thing that we had to talk about on the podcast was that there was this Build Back Better bill, and in it was a crypto provision regarding wash sales. So can you talk a little bit about that, and what is the status of that? So wash sales are a section of the tax code, section 1091, and basically what they say is if you have a security, uh, which is you know a stock or, or equity or something like that, um, that if you if you sell that position at a loss and you have reacquired that substantially similar stock so if i have a, a 10 shares of of let's say google uh and i've lost money on it and i sell that and i want to realize the losses if i reacquire google within the 30-day window before or after that sale the wash is disallowed that's called a washed loss um, and what that means is it just adjusts my basis back to when I eventually sell it later, then I get to take the loss or gain at that point, but I don't get to take it now. And as the as the tax code is currently written, that section does not apply to cryptocurrency. So that means you can sell your crypto uh, and buy it back at a, you know sell it at a loss and buy it back much sooner than that 30-day window. There's something else called the economic substance doctrine. I don't know how far we want to get into that, uh, which could limit th that time frame. Uh, so we know it's less than the 30 days required by the wash loss rule, and it's probably more than 30 seconds. Um, but we wait a reasonable amount of time, and then we can buy the same position back, realize the loss, which is a tax benefit, and not have really changed our financial position overall. 
the Build Back Better Act, as it passed the House, changed wash losses to apply to cryptocurrency effective January 1st of 2022. Uh, as we know, that that bill passed the House and then stalled out in the Senate. Um, and so as of now, the wash loss rule still doesn't apply to crypto. But we don't know, you know, the, President Biden is still pushing at least pieces of the Build Back Better Act to, to maybe break it up and, and get it through the Senate. And then it'll go back to the House to be voted on there where, where it's very likely to pass. Um, this wash loss provision is one of the quote unquote pay fors. It's on the revenue side of the bill to pay for some of the things around infrastructure that the bill does. So we don't know if it will still be in the final version. We don't know if the language will have changed. We don't know if the effective date will have changed. So in theory, they could still pass a, a retroactive bill that says as of January 1st, uh, wash losses weren't allowed. Um, so it, we're kind of in this this nebulous area where you should be very careful if you're engaging in a wash transaction uh, because it could but there's no certainty, but it could come back to uh, bite you in the butt. January 1st, 2022, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, people are good now, I guess, for doing their 2021 taxes. I mean, I guess they don't have to worry about it for that, right? Right, yeah. So, so for 2021, you don't have anything to worry about. It's, yeah. it's really when it comes down to 22. And the, the further we get away from January 1st of 22, the harder it gets to pass something retroactively like that. But it was last March, early March, that they passed retroactive tax changes uh, for the 2020 tax year. Uh, so it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Interesting. All right, so I want to move on to the Reddit questions. Actually, the first question we got was about wash sales and the economic substance doctrine. So I think we just covered that. Uh, and his follow-up question was about wash sales in 2022. <laughs> so that's covered there. If you don't mind, say, I'll just add a quick bit about the economic substance doctrine. Yes. Um, and what that says uh, is that you can't engage in a transaction that only exists for tax purposes. Um, so you have to prove that you had some sort of economic substance to the transaction. There was some reason for doing it other than just utilizing a tax benefit. So if I sell a loss, a cryptocurrency at a loss and buy it back within like the next 10 seconds, right? It was clear I never really wanted to exit that position. I was just doing it to record the loss on paper. Um, so what you need to do to not run afoul of that rule is to have some sort of substantial, undefined um, market exposure, right? They don't define what substantial means. Um, we've seen hours in the cryptocurrency market where the entire market swings 10 or 20%, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that, could, that, that clearly would qualify as substantial. So a lot of it's going to depend on when you do these transactions, the facts and circumstances around them. Um, the, the general rule of thumb, and, and this has not been tested in court, but a lot of professionals will say, wait at least 24 hours. I mean, that's enough exposure in crypto times to, to have an entire market crash. Uh, or, you know, double or, or something like that. So uh, that that is probably safe. The longer you can wait, the better you're going to be, though. Okay, great. So next question from Reddit. If node daily rewards are distributed on a private chain that requires the tokens to be minted to receive them, is the tax on the daily distribution or when you decide to mint them, uh, which could be once a week, once a month, or whatever? When is it considered, quote, restructive receipt of income? Yeah, constructive receipt is such a fun concept um, because what the tax code says is you have income when you have income, but you also have income when you have what's called constructive receipt, which means when you could have accessed the income. And so the analogy I like to use with clients is imagine you're a landlord, right? Um, and it's December 31st. Uh, and your rent check is on the way from the tenant and you're trying to figure out if you should include it in this year's taxes or next year's taxes. 
So it's December 31st, and the check is sitting in the mailbox at my house, and all I have to do is go out and take the check out. (laughs) That's clearly constructive receipt because I could have gotten it whenever I wanted to. I just haven't. I can't just leave it in my mailbox until January 1st and be like, oh, I guess it's next year's income because I didn't get it. Now, if it's still in the Postal Service at that point in time on midnight on December 31st, then I don't have constructive receipt. I can't show up at the post office and say, give me my check. Um, So it's not within my control, my dominion and control to get that. So basically what constructive receipt says is when you could have access to the income, you you recognize the income. Now, there is a Treasury Reg uh, 1.451-2 that outlines a bunch of scenarios around... Um, they say it's income unless there is a substantial restriction or limitation to accessing that income. And that, like we talked about before, the post office, if it's in the mail system, that's a substantial limitation. It being physically in my mailbox and I'm just too lazy to go take it out, that's not a substantial limitation. So they give in this reg a bunch of different um, examples of what might be a substantial limitation or restriction. And that bar is exceptionally low. Um, there's nothing obviously related to crypto. They're mostly all about bank accounts and when you have interest and when you don't and that kind of thing. Uh, but that's worth taking a look at if you if you Google that reg 1.451-2. Uh, that will bring you to the constructive receipt regs and people can read the examples there. So now to the question. When we look at this through crypto, when do we have this income? When do we recognize it? Um, and if we have a gas fee, that is preventing us from moving it from like the services wallet to my own personal wallet. Uh, is is that a substantial restriction or limitation? We don't know. The IRS hasn't said, you know, these cases will eventually go to court and it, but it could be five, 10 years before that happens. So in the meantime, we kind of have to decide. And, and my take on it is the conservative position is you recognize the income uh, as soon as it's available to you. Uh, and maybe a more aggressive position is you recognize the income when you remove it to your wallet. But that said, uh, the flip side of this is that let's say you're getting a reward every 12 seconds. Um, how do you value that reward? You can't be by your computer 24 hours a day writing down the value every 12 seconds. And most of the historical tools, you know, while very accurate, don't have that level of granularity. Um, so you need to find something that's practical. And it would be difficult for the IRS to fault you if you're doing something practical. If you're taking this value weekly, um, that would probably be sufficient. You know, you can't take that to the bank. You never know. Uh, but it, 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 it would probably be enough to show that you were doing your due diligence in order to maintain accurate records. And Bitcoin.tax, if you're receiving a ton of income, ton of mining income, you can aggregate it by day. So you're not, you know, if you're getting it every, you know, like you said, 10 seconds or 20 seconds or something like that, aggregating it by day and just taking the full amount that you earn for that day and then giving that the value, that's probably okay, right? Yeah, I would think that's probably okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's again, it's the more you can do, the better. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> a phrase I use a lot in crypto tax is you don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the person next to you. Um, <laughs> and, and, we, and, you know, it's a, it's a practicality thing because we've been asking for this guidance uh, from the IRS for years. They have not provided it. And they've kind of left taxpayers in a lurch to, to the people who want to be compliant are having a very difficult time doing that because they can't get the information they need. So uh, y- the IRS has limited resources to come after people. So if you're doing something is better than nothing and more is better than a little. Yeah. And generally, like if you're not trying to 
evade taxes in some way. If you're if you're doing everything you can to be a, a good taxpayer, as corny as that sounds, you're probably okay. That's my view, at least. I mean, I'm not a tax professional, but I think if you're doing a good job with crypto tax stuff and you're really putting in your due diligence, they're not going to be coming after you, especially when we're talking about a few dollars or something, you know? Yeah. And, and intent is a big part of this, right? When we look at court cases, we look at the courts are going to look at, did you know what you were doing was wrong? Um, and if you're doing it intentionally, if you're doing it fraudulently, now it's not just a civil issue. So a civil issue means you screwed up and you have to pay penalties and interest to the IRS. A criminal issue means you've intentionally tried to defraud the government, and that's when the people with guns and badges get involved. And that's really not where you don't want to be. Um, the people with the guns and badges who are the criminal investigation division, they are super focused on crypto right now. Uh, you know, they, they took down the Silk Road. You know, we see them involved. There was the big uh, Bitfinex recovery this past week uh, where $3.6 billion worth of Bitcoin was recovered. Uh, that's what the cases they're working on. But they're also going to be focused on any sort of fraud. So you don't want to intentionally uh, just ignore this when you know you're supposed to be reporting it. We actually had a guy from the IRS uh, Criminal Investigation Division on the podcast, uh, Christopher, and it was a great interview. It was cool to talk to him, and uh, he was on with Alex Kugelman, and they kind of talked a little bit about what not to do <laughs> to have his guys show up at your door asking you about these transactions. So if people are interested, they can listen to that. Uh, Matt just kind of gave us an overview. That was one of the Reddit questions. What can I do to avoid an audit? And I think we kind of answered that, you know, by, by doing your due diligence, paying attention, listening to these podcasts, trying to do your research. If you're spending thousands, tens of thousands, you know, some people have hundreds of thousands of dollars in crypto or more, especially when you get to that higher level, it's probably worth it to do your research a little bit. Like these are large sums of money that are taxable and that you're doing these large transactions on. So if that's you and you're listening to this, good, you're listening to this podcast and you're doing your research, but that's going to help you to avoid having people knocking on your door and trying to, you know, <laughs> either send you away or collect the money that you owe. But if you're still one of those people that says, you know, Hey, my crypto, that's not taxed. I don't. I don't pay taxes on crypto. Ha ha ha. You're you're not going to be doing well over the years. You know that's your prerogative. But we yeah, see that not, time and time again. You're yeah. probably not listening to this show. Either. You're probably not <laughs> listening to this show at all. Definitely. They have the the highest conviction rate of any federal agency. So if if you're on their radar, uh, they already have enough evidence to uh, uh, get a conviction. So just keep that in mind if you end up uh, getting an attorney right away. Good to think. know. Yeah. Done anything wrong in that area. Good to know. Um, all right. Let's see. So this next one's pretty interesting. It's almost like a classic question that I feel like I've talked about in the past, and I've probably talked about it with you, Matt. But they ask, if you receive an airdrop NFT, I guess NFT brings it to the modern day, but if you receive an airdrop <laughs> NFT but didn't want it or request it, is that considered a gift and reportable income? And if so, how do you assess the value? Back in my day, airdrops <laughs> didn't have the pretty pictures. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty much what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. The NFT portion of that doesn't really impact anything. It, it comes back to airdrops. And airdrops are, again, an area in which we don't have guidance. We look to Section 61 of the tax code, which basically says everything is income unless there's something else that says it isn't income. Um, and it looks at a test, uh, a Supreme Court case from the 50s called Glenshaw Glass. Uh, and that test basically says if you have a clear accession to wealth, uh, and that could be an airdrop, it could be uh, you find 100 bucks on the ground, you could be catch a game-winning home run uh, ball that's worth a lot of money. Those are all accessions to wealth um, that you have 
it's clearly realized, which means you have it. Uh, and we get back to the constructive receipt issues. And the third test is that you have complete dominion and control. Uh, if you meet those three tests, you have income. Now, the question becomes how and when do you value it? Um, NFTs do add some complexity here because unlike, you know, just a regular token airdrop, you know, there's a there's a market for it. There's liquidity uh, in most cases. Whereas with an NFT, if it's the only one of its kind, how do you determine the fair market value? Yeah. Uh, and that is going to be really difficult. So. I can't give you any concrete information on how to, if you just get a random uh, NFT airdrop, yeah. I'm thinking like the, um, you know, the board apes had uh, the mutant serum uh, that w was dropped to board ape holders. Uh, and that has a lot of value. If you look at the resale value of that on OpenSea and stuff, uh, but determining what the value was at the time you received it is going to be a very difficult task. So consult a professional uh, and I'm not, not going <laughs> to give random hot takes on how to do that. Yeah. And again, I guess it kind of comes down to, again, if, if you do end up doing it at zero and then you sell it for 20 grand, you're paying full capital gains on that 20 grand. So exactly. you're paying your capital gains anyway. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Exactly. But there is definitely still something there. If you're receiving NFT airdrops and you have no idea how to value those, definitely talk to your tax professional about it. So here's another one. We've talked about this before, and it's kind of a question that we get a lot on Bitcoin.tax, but not related to NFTs. But this question is specifically about NFTs. This person must love NFTs. So if your wallet is hacked and your coins and NFTs are stolen, how to report that loss and what documentation would be required? Mm, yes. So if your wallet is hacked, this is something called a theft slash casualty loss. Uh, and the problem here is that the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which, which went into effect in 2018, uh, suspended these types of losses until 2025. So as of right now, for most people, it's probably not deductible, which is very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. um, in the in the Build Back Better that passed the House, it would have retroactively restated these theft losses back to 2018. Oh wow! Um, so, but again, you know, we we talked about where we're at at B, on the BB BBBA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of B's in there. Um, so we at this point, uh, you're kind of out of luck. Um, and, and that's all I'll say about it here. There, there's some ag aggressive strategies to, uh -huh. to maybe realize some of that, but you definitely want to consult with a professional who knows oh, yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and I, so I don't want to give that advice here and, and cause there's definitely possible repercussions to, to taking one of those more aggressive strategies. I, I didn't know that about, um, the build back better. I didn't know that it, it said it would restore it, uh, retroactively. That's actually pretty big to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a mess doing the amended return. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause a lot of people have lost and had stuff stolen. So yeah, you know, we think all the way back to like the BitConnect days. Um, and, and, you know, that was the first real big, well-known Ponzi, uh, in crypto. So there's lots of, and, and, and small differences in the fact pattern can make a big difference in the deductibility of these things. I will add that. So if you still have tokens, uh, even if they're worthless, that might change the way the picture works versus if, you know, um, your wallet was stolen or if you have an exchange account that was hacked might be different. Uh, there's lots of little differences in the, in the circumstances that could impact how you report it on your taxes. All right. The final question from this guy is about Roth IRAs. And he wants to know, can you use a Roth IRA to invest in NFTs? And if so, what are the special rules for compliance? I would uh, absolutely say don't do that. <laughs> that, that uh, that's a quick, short answer. Nice. So IRAs have a list of prohibited transactions. Um, and one of the things you cannot do inside of an IRA vehicle is invest in a collectible. Uh, and a collectible is defined by Section 408 M2. Uh, and the first line of that says any work of art. 
Now, there is a huge debate as to whether an NFT is a work of art or is it a piece of computer code that basically functions as a roadmap that points to a piece of art, right? Those are fundamentally different things, but you don't want to take a risk inside your IRA like that. Uh, save the IRA uh, for hodling uh, and, and stay out of everything else. I, I, I had saw some questions from a client the other day around DeFi, uh, and it's very, very easy to engage in a self-dealing transaction. Think if you're staking, uh, inside your IRA or in your, in your DeFi wallet inside the IRA, if you're staking, you're validating transactions on the blockchain. And if you have a, a, a transaction that you've conducted personally on that same chain and you validate your own block, you've self-dealt. You've had a financial benefit from a transaction you've done inside the IRA and outside the IRA and you've blown up your IRA. And I've seen it happen. Uh, so just be very careful with IRAs in general. Okay, great. This next question is actually a really big one because we have a lot of this going on. We have a lot of people asking about this. I know a little bit about it because we're getting so many questions. So let me just get into the question. He says, let's say I use Bitcoin.tax. Great. <laughs> to track everything. I fill out my Schedule D and enter all my numbers that Bitcoin.tax gives me. Now let's say an exchange sends me over a 1099B that was reported to the IRS. What am I supposed to do now? All that info was already included on my Schedule D with the Bitcoin.tax info. How do I document on my return? that the 1099 the exchange sent me is already documented and accounted for. And before you answer, I just want to say, he's asking about the 1099B. There's also 1099K, 1099MISC. There's a lot of 1099s going on from crypto exchanges right now. So this is a really big question that people, and I feel like it's a bit of a nuanced answer. So if you can kind of go over that, um, I'm sure people would find that useful. Absolutely. Yeah, I've never heard of this Bitcoin.tax site. But I, I <laughs> you know, there's a guy on Reddit called Bitcoin Taxes Me. And, okay, uh... <laughs> yeah, so so that is a name. That's my my domain name uh, that put one of my many crypto related pun names is Bitcoin Taxes dot um, because I liked it. It was, it was just a funny pun. Right. And then but he's uh, always got to tell people he's not affiliated. Yeah, I'm not affiliated with Bitcoin.tax <laughs> in the Bitcoin taxes. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, irritating. But that me. is, but, you know, that's Matt giving all the great answers. So now, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So the question is, uh, I put all my information into Bitcoin.tax uh, and then I later get a 1099. So there's a, there's a couple things. So in theory, you, you would have the 1099 before you file your tax return. Um, but and in theory, if you did it correctly, all of the information that's on a 1099B would already match what's on your Bitcoin.tax account uh, and what you put on your Schedule D. So if those numbers match, you're, you're good. You don't have to account for anything. Where we see a problem, and, and a lot of this has to do with which forms exchanges are sending out. Now, exchanges, cryptocurrency exchanges are not required to send any kind of 1099, and many don't send anything at all. The ones that do base their form on on some decision matrix that I will never understand because I've argued with some of them as to why you're sending this form, even though it's not required, because uh, it creates problems for the taxpayer. And, and you mentioned sale the 1099K, and that's the worst of the bunch. Um, we see uh, exchanges send 1099Ks, and Coinbase has stopped doing this. Gemini stopped doing this. Most of the major exchanges have stopped doing the 1099Ks, but Crypto.com uh, is doing it still. Um, and what we see is in the instructions of the 1099K, it says the total gross proceeds, not taking into account any fees. So if you churned a million dollars in your account, but uh, 50,000 of it was fees, when you report on your on your Schedule D, that has different instructions. It says to take the fees out. 
So we had 50,000 in fees. On your Schedule D, you're gonna show gross proceeds of 950,000, and your 1099K is gonna show gross proceeds of a million. Obviously, there's a gap of 50,000 there because it's the fees that you paid. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be a potential problem. This is where the IRS matching computer may send you a letter. Um, and you're going to have to send them a response that explains the difference. I've, I've never had one of those go poorly, um, you know, but it, it is a, an additional burden on someone who gets a letter from the IRS and has to pay someone like me to, to solve what shouldn't have been an issue in the first place. So be very careful if you do get a 1099K. Uh, if the proceeds amount is higher than your total proceeds on your Schedule D, you may want to consider adding those fees as a separate line and then zeroing back out again as, at zero gain. You know, just put 50,000 fees, basis 50,000 fees, proceeds, and that will get the totals up. When the IRS computer is looking to send these letters out, they are looking to match. They want to see that you reported at least the amount on the 1099K. Interesting. So, this is also going to apply if you're on multiple exchanges and you only get a 1099 from one site. As long as you've reported more than the 1099 says, you're not going to see a letter from the IRS uh, because they don't know which transactions were on Coinbase, for example, versus DeFi versus something else. Um, you also mentioned the 1099 miscellaneous. Uh, and that uh, some sites send out Coinbase specifically for their earn program. You know, you watch videos uh, in some states, not in my state of New York, but in some states you can do some staking on there and earn some rewards as well. And if you earn more than $600, they'll send you a 1099 miscellaneous for that. Lastly, uh, for the 2023 tax year, so in January of 2024, exchanges will be required to issue 1099s. Uh, as the law is currently written. So things will be different in the next couple of years, but between now and then, just make sure you're reporting more on your tax return uh, than is on the 1099. So basically, the 1099s for the taxpayer don't matter. That's an issue between the entity and the IRS. You should be, as a taxpayer, reporting everything accurately. And if you do report everything accurately on your tax return, Unless the 1099 itself is wrong, you're never going to have a 1099 related issue. And that applies outside of crypto as well, if you're an independent contractor or something like that. As long as you've reported all your income, the 1099 is never going to be a problem for you. So it doesn't get, you don't get taxed twice or you don't report it twice or anything like that. You just report everything. Um, and you can basically ignore the 1099s then uh, because you know you've reported everything accurately. So is that all 1099s then? 1099 b 1099K, 1099 MISC? Yeah, that that's everything. I mean, with this with the 1099B, it gets a little more nuanced for like securities and stuff. If the basis doesn't get reported, um, you don't ever want to just leave it off your tax return, uh, no matter what. So as long as you have everything reported, uh, the 1099 is just a match. It's a third party matching system for the IRS. They that's the the way that they know that you reported what you were supposed to report. So if your number matches or exceeds the number on the 1099, you'll you won't see a notice for that. Okay, that's good to know because I think most people write into us worried that they are getting double taxed, that the right. IRS is getting a 1099, they're reporting it on Bitcoin.tax or whatever software, and they don't want to pay double on it. People already think they're paying double by adding their income and <laughs> then know. selling it and getting taxed on capital gains. So now they're worried that they're getting triple, triple tax. Yeah, quadruple <laughs> over two to the power of two. I don't know. But yeah. Okay, that's great. That's really good information. I think people will really benefit from hearing that. So uh, appreciate that. All right, Matt, next question is, if I bridged to ETH and lost track of the AVAX address and original assets, do I just say that I have a cost basis of zero for these bridged assets now? So, um, I mean, you can always take a position that you have a basis of zero. The IRS is never going to argue with that. They're not, they're not going to come back and say, no, I'm pretty sure you had basis. You should pay less tax. So you can always pay more tax. That's always an option. 
Uh, bridging gets a little complicated because it's another area where we don't have any guidance. And when you're bridging, you're moving a, a token, you're quote unquote moving a token from one blockchain to another blockchain typically. Um, and what is actually happening is on the first blockchain, you're sending your token to a smart contract, which is custodying and locking up that asset and minting a asset with the same name on a second blockchain. So you're, you're locking up the first token and creating a second token from a technical standpoint. So it's very likely that the IRS is going to treat that as a sale of the first token and the purchase of a second token. Maybe they won't, but they probably will because, you know, given the history of how they, they come down on things, that would be my guess of how they're going to look at it. So that means you are basically selling the first asset, buying the second asset. So even if you lost control of the first wallet, um, it really wouldn't matter because you, at the time of that bridge, you've, you've deemed it as a sale um, and your basis resets, your cost, your holding period resets, your cost basis resets on the purchase of the, the same token on Avalanche, for example, in this, in this question. All right, great. Next question I, from the same person. I'm okay with having my gains taxes income. Oh, that's great. But I hear that banks won't clear the funds if they can't verify the counterparty due to AML laws. For lost records of bridging, what will make them okay to clear funds? I've never encountered that as an issue. Um, I'm not sure where they're hearing that. Uh, with DeFi, you're never going to know who the counterparty is, right? So if you're bridging mm -hmm. stuff, you're already in a world where you know your counterparty is an address, um, and you're you're not off ramping through these DeFi exchanges or anything like that. You're going to go through a centralized exchange, um, and once it's custodied in some place, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say Coinbase for example, um, because that's what I have used personally. I just do a transfer out to my bank account. There's never been a question as to where the funds came from or anything like that. Okay. Next question. How does gift giving work to reduce taxes? If I made gains of 50K and gave my three family members each 5K for a total of 15K, I can just report gains taxable of 35K? Question mark? <laughs> question mark. No. <laughs> and I couldn't help myself. I answered that uh, one. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in general, gift giving does not reduce your taxes in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, you know, you can't have 50,000 and give some away and then just report 35,000. It does not work like that at all. So what gift giving does do is it sort of passes on your basis and holding period to the recipient of the gift. Uh, there are requirements if in 2022, if you gift more than $16,000 to any individual, uh, you do have to file a gift tax return. Um, it typic for most people, you won't owe any gift tax. You have to get over a, a threshold of 11 point something million dollars before you're going to owe any tax on the gift. Um, but it doesn't actually change your capital gains reporting at all. You only count the transactions that are capital gains for capital gains purposes. And if you're gifting stuff, it's basically just the basis of that asset gets removed from your cost basis and goes to your family member or whoever is receiving the gift in that case. Okay. Um, does FATCO and FBAR reporting apply this year for coins held in foreign exchanges, e.g. Ledin or HODLNOT for U.S. users? Man, isn't that the question of the year? So um, this has been a question ever since crypto started, right? And, and FACTA and FBAR are two different forms uh, that have to do with international account, foreign account reporting. Uh, the FBAR is a, a form run by FinCEN, which is a different division of the treasury it's the financial crimes enforcement network they're the they're the money laundering people right they want to know uh when money's moving offshore and that kind of thing so if you have 
a foreign bank account where the U.S. dollar value is more than $10,000 at any point in the year, you have to file this FBAR form. There's no tax associated with it. It's just informational reporting. Um, however, the penalties for not filing an FBAR when you should have can be extremely substantial, like 50 to 75% of the value of the account. So you really don't want to not do this if it's required. Now, we do have some solace here because uh, last year, actually two years ago now, uh, FinCEN put out a notice, notice 2020-2. Uh, which says currently the report of foreign bank and financial accounts, that's the FBAR, regulations do not define a foreign account holding virtual currency as a type of reportable account. So we know for sure that FinCEN does not want to see FBARs for crypto at this point. Um, that said, that it, the first word in this notice is currently. So that could very much change in the future. There were proposed regs at the end of the Trump administration that Stephen Mnuchin had put forward that would have required this, but they sort of fell by the wayside. So as of now, no FBAR reporting. Uh, for cryptocurrency purposes. Now that said, uh, FACTA is sort of the IRS version of the same form. Uh, it has a different threshold. Uh, it has some different reporting requirements. But the problem is, is that the IRS has never put out a notice like this that says don't file it. Uh, so we don't know for sure. And again, this also has uh, pretty substantial penalties associated with it. So many practitioners, myself included, will say that you should file the FACTA if you cross that threshold. And the threshold for a single person is, did you have any foreign accounts where the value was higher than $50,000 uh, USD on the last day of the year or $75,000 at any point during the year? Um, so if you cross that threshold, you strongly want to talk with your tax professional about whether or not you should file the FACTA uh, and make sure that you're not opening up yourself to any penalties there. All right. Well, Matt, that's all the Reddit questions we have. Uh, if anybody else has any questions and they want to post on Reddit, feel free. Maybe we'll do a part two. There's always going to be questions. If if you've listened to this whole podcast and you don't know by now that Matt is a genius when it comes to crypto taxes, now you know. I mean, he has given us such great answers, so much information. Matt, we really, really appreciate you giving us all this information today. Oh, Sal, always happy to be here. It's always a good time. and It's a good break from looking at tax returns at the moment. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it really is truly valuable knowledge. So I know you're pretty much booked up, but if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, the website is uh, bitcointaxes.me. Uh, I'm super active on Twitter. Um, you know, and I'm sure you'll link those in the notes. So I won't put them all out here. Reddit, obviously, I answer questions there <laughs> from time to time, not to be affiliated with bitcoin.tax. Yes. Not to be affiliated, but great friend of ours. Yes. Happy to be. For friends. sure. And yeah. we really appreciate you, man. So thanks again and, and have a great day. Thanks, man. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks again for listening.